Have you ever played that game, I could have told you? I know it's not really a game, but you know the way it works, right? Someone hears a story, maybe about somebody who's just, their life is spiraled out of control. They've made a series of bad decisions, and someone pipes up and says, you know, I remember that boy when he was in elementary school, and he used to pick on that girl. I could have told you that he was headed for trouble. Or maybe someone ends up and they do something really good and somebody pipes up and says, you know, I remember that girl. She used to sing in the church choir. I knew that she was headed for things. I could have told you she was going places. The best, though, the best is when you have this plan and you're putting this plan together and then the plan just fails. It doesn't work out. And someone pipes up and says, I could have told you that wasn't going to work. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, if you could have told me that wasn't going to work, why didn't you say something? You know, we're continuing this morning in, in, through the book of Acts, looking at Acts chapters 13 and 14. We see this church that is made to move. And we get to see what a healthy, transformational church does, what it looks like. And by the time you get to Acts 13 and 14, as you read through the book, you might be sitting there reading, thinking, you know, I could have told you the church was going to start doing some mission trips. You know, I could have told you even that it was going to be Barnabas and Paul who would team together and go. I could have told you they would have been the ones to go off. You might have predicted it. It may not sound that surprising, but by the time you get to Acts 13 and 14 and you see this first missionary journey in action, it's incredible. It's awesome. I want you to see it this morning. Turn with me. Acts 13 will begin in verses 1 through 4. Acts 13, beginning in verses 1 through 4. And just to remind us what we've seen so far, okay, you remember the church has now made it to the Gentiles, started in Jerusalem, and then because of persecution, it spread, and now the Gentiles have become believers. And the Jews hear about it, they find out that there's this Gentile church in Antioch, and they're kind of wondering, is this for real? Could, can this really be true? Could they really be believers, Gentiles? And so they send Barnabas up to check it out. And Barnabas gets there, and he sees this church witnessing to their community, sharing Jesus with other people. And Barnabas says, yes, this is legit. This is for real. And he starts to try to disciple these people and equip them. And he says, there's too many people for me. I can't do this by myself. So he goes up to Tarsus. He gets Saul. He brings Saul back. And so Barnabas and Saul together, at this time, Paul's name hasn't been changed yet, and they are equipping the church. They're discipling the church. And this goes on for one year. And that's where we pick up the story. Acts 13, verses beginning in verses 1 through 4. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Let's just stop there. Let's just stop there. So the church in Antioch, it's doing great. Okay, it's healthy. It's doing well. And you should know about Antioch. Antioch is the capital of the Roman, um, the Roman capital of Syria, okay? And it's really a gateway city to the east. And so there's a lot of trade that 
takes place there. It's a large city, and like most large cities, it's very multicultural. You had Jews, you had people from around the Middle East, the Mediterranean, you had people from Africa. They all came and they conducted business there. Trade happened here. It was a hotbed for business. And on the outskirts of this town, Antioch, stood this beautiful temple to Daphne. Okay, And it was a center for cult prostitution, uh, for emperor worship, um, for idol worship. It was a, just a deplorable place. There's chariot races, there's gambling, there's all kinds of stuff. You could almost liken it to like the ancient Las Vegas, okay? This is Antioch. And in contrast to this city, Antioch, begun to develop this flourishing, beautiful church right in the middle of this deplorable place. See, see God was working in this dark place so much so that in a year's time, the church grew and Barnabas and Saul had discipled three other men to be leaders in the church. So now the church has a leadership team of five men. And I know how it is when you get to the names of the Bible. Sometimes it's just like hard name after hard name after hard name. So you just read right through them and skip right over them. But if you do that here, you miss something very interesting. Okay, I want to just go back through and look at these names with you. First, it's Barnabas. We know a little bit about him. He's from Cyprus. He's Jewish. You know Barnabas. You remember when we met him back in Acts 4, he's just, uh, that's his nickname. His real name is Joseph. And so here's this Jewish Cyprian. Then there's Simeon. He's called Niger. Niger means black-skinned. Then you have Lucius. Lucius is from Cyrene. Cyrene is west of Egypt on the coast of Africa. Then there's Menean, and he's a member of the high Roman family. He grew up with, friends with Herod Antipas, Herod the Tetrarch. He, that Herod, he was the ruler of Galilee and Perea. And then there's Saul. And Saul, he's a Jew. He's, he's got this rabbinical training. He's from Tarsus, another Middle Eastern city not too far from Cyprus where Barnabas is from. So do you begin to see this leadership team that emerged? It's as if Barnabas and Saul, they're in this big multicultural city, and they're saying, hey, you know what? We've got this whole Middle Eastern Jewish thing down. As we disciple up leaders, we need to disciple up leaders who look like the community we're trying to reach. And so they had the Middle Eastern Jewish thing down, so then what do they do? They disciple Africans, and they disciple Romans. And, and you look at this team, and you end up with a leadership team of Jews and Africans and a Roman, brown-skinned people and black-skinned people, no white-skinned people, okay? The gospel hasn't made it to Western Europe yet. But what you see is a beautifully diverse leadership team that matches the diversity of the city they're trying to reach. This, this church would become a model to the watching culture of diversity, diversity of ethnicity and background and all this, but the unity of the faith, which is bigger than any type of diversity that it could ever try to divide us. And it becomes this beautiful picture. What a great testimony. You know, this is what I pray for our church, that we would be that kind of a testimony, that we would match the makeup of our city as well. And so this diverse, growing church is together worshiping the Lord and fasting. Okay, it, it sound, they just have a worship service. 
They're coming together, worshiping the Lord. They're fasting. And, you know, I know we're Baptists, so i got to explain what fasting is, okay? You know, sometimes, hey, we got, we got a gathering. Let's bring more food. Put a casserole in the oven. Come on, let's go. These people, they know, hey, there's a special meeting. We're coming to worship God. We want to hear from God. And so we're going to set aside food. We're going to set, set aside this other stuff. We, just, we don't want to walk out of the church service just being a, a critic of, hey, how do we like the music? How do we like the preaching? How was the programming? We'll just kind of critique everything. No, they want to walk out of the service just proclaiming the glory of God. And so they, they get there and they, they are fasting because they want to hear from God. They want to let aside anything else and just focus on what God has to share with them that day, doing without food so that they could simply concentrate on God. And as they're concentrating on God and worshiping, this amazing thing happens. The Holy Spirit shows up and he leads this congregation to set apart Barnabas and Saul, and then they just send them off. Did you catch that? I mean, they just lay their hands on them and they're gone. That's 40% of their leadership team just out the door. They didn't hold a business meeting and say, okay, well, if we were to send these guys, I mean, who would take over their responsibilities? What would, what would this look like? What exactly are we getting ourselves into? No, they're convinced they've heard from God, they pray for them, and they're gone. It's like, don't even come back next Sunday. You, you have a place to be. God has appointed you somewhere to go. You need to go. I almost wonder what the next church service even looked like. Like how many people came? I figure either everyone came because, wow, this is exciting. Look what God is doing. Or no one came because they're thinking, you know, if God just called out Barnabas and Saul and sent them, maybe I'm next. But here's the point. A church on the move sends people out. A church on the move sends people out. A church on the move is just as excited about sending people out the door and releasing them for ministry as it is bringing in people in the door. Some of you, God may call to full-time missions. Some of you, God may call to, to pastor a church. Some of you, God may call to plant churches. And we're a church, or I hope we're a church, that is just excited about sending people out the door and, and, and releasing them for whatever ministry God has called them, as we are about bringing people in the door, because we want to see the kingdom of God expand. And this is what's happening in this church. They, they just know, hey, this is where these people need to be. This is where Paul and Barnabas, they need to be. Let's send them out. And it's exciting for the church. So don't put any limits on what God has called you to do. You know, don't... don't Say in your mind, you know, I will never do that. In fact, if you say that, that might be right where God's calling you, right where he wants you. Don't put any limits. You know, you, then don't get so busy in activity, even good, noble activity, that you never take this time to stop and lay aside any d distractions and just ask God, hey, God, what do you want with me? How can you best use me? How can I be most profitable for your kingdom? Take time to pray those prayers and ask those questions. God, he chose Barnabas and Saul and he sent them off. This is the first missionary journey launched by the church. You might have expected that the church, the sending church, to be the church in Jerusalem. It wasn't. It's a Gentile church in Antioch. 
just a little over a year old at this time. And this Gentile church sends off Barnabas and Saul, and they set sail. Their first stop is Cyprus. It's Barnabas' home, hometown, and so that's where, that, that, that's where they end up. Their ship lands in a, in a city called Salamis, and from there they trek up to Paphos, and they're preaching the gospel from place to place. And during this time, Saul's name is changed to Paul. That's where his name gets changed. And the trip starts with great success. They, they meet a guy. He's uh, high up in Roman government and this important city official, and he believes in Jesus. He responds to the message. It's a hard-hitting message by Paul, but he responds to the message. And so now on top of the world really feeling good about the success that they have in Cyprus, they sail on. And I want to read to you this next section. It's a long section of scripture, but I want you to see how they had a plan. You see God's plan unfolding, but in the middle of it too, Paul, his plan, and Barnabas, their plan to go and just reach people. So it's a large section, but Acts 13, verses 13 through 52. Let's look at it and watch for their plan. Watch for their strategy, how intentional they are. So from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites, and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All of this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they, had carried all, when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus as it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. 
Today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere. You will not let your holy one see decay. Now when David has served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set, is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So you see, we're reading God's plan just coming together. Do you remember the plan that Jesus laid out back in Acts 1.8? That, hey, you're going to be my disciples, and then you're going to be my witnesses, and you're going first to Jerusalem. And they'd done that. I mean, that's where the church started. And then all of Judea, and through persecution, they go throughout Judea. Then Samaria, persecution forces them into Samaria. And now to the ends of the earth, and we're seeing it happen. This is Barnabas and Paul taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is the plan of God in action being fulfilled. But you also see Paul. In his plan, right? He's got a plan here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and how he's going to go reach these people. It just doesn't happen on accident where he's headed and how he's speaking. He's got a plan to reach these people. You have a plan too, don't you? I mean, if I were to ask you, is it important to reach your unsaved neighbors, friends, family, coworkers? You would all say yes. Do you have a plan to reach them? Do you have a plan to reach them? Because if you don't have a plan, you know how it works. It just never gets done. 
It just doesn't happen. You know, in the back of your Bible, you can turn, and there's a bunch of maps there. Have you ever noticed the map section in the back of your Bible? And one of those maps is the missionary journeys of Paul. And so you got red lines and green lines and blue lines and black lines, maybe some dotted lines. You know how it is. And one of those lines is the first missionary journey. And this is it. This is the first missionary journey. And, and I wish I had time to go through every single city that Paul and Barnabas, where they stop. I don't really have time to do that. But when you follow that and you research these cities, you see something very interesting. It's it, Paul and Barnabas, they leave Cyprus, which is an important city, and they end up in the important city of Pisidian Antioch, Antioch of Pisidia, not Syrian Antioch, the sending church that left them. This is a different Antioch, okay? I'm going to point out this city because it's probably the most significant, but all of the cities that Paul visits are like this. You know, there could be a number of reasons why they stopped there. Okay, first, the guy who got saved, the city official in um, Cyprus, he was from Pisidian Antioch. This is where he's from. And so perhaps he sent letters of introduction or he gave Barnabas and and Paul some information about Pisidian Antioch so they knew the, the, the area a little bit. We don't know. But what we do know is this, that Pisidian Antioch was the third most important city in the entire Roman Empire at the time. Okay, only behind Rome and Alexandria. This was the city of influence. It was given special status by the emperor. There's a lot of money that's being poured into this city. Uh, Roman citizens were encouraged to retire there. It was a beautiful city. It was a city of commerce, of education. Things were happening there. And this is the city they chose. As you begin to look at the ministry of Paul, as Paul goes on his missionary journeys, he tends to choose cities of intersection and influence. Cities of intersection where people are coming together to do business, to do trade, and then leaving and scattering and going back to wherever it is they're from, and cities of influence where people look and, hey, respected people are here, and, and these people carry some weight. If they, if they uh, come to know Jesus and then they begin to share the gospel, people tend to listen to them. Cities of intersection and influence. You know, I think if Paul were here today, I think he would love to preach in the Hampton Roads area. Because you've got this big military presence, people who are coming in and then scattering all over the world. It's, it's a city of intersection. People coming and going. A city of influence. you got powerful people here who make big decisions. And, and they come here in the Hampton Roads area. And then I think this is a place that Paul would love to preach. And so Paul, he goes to Antioch with Barnabas. And I think this is part of the strategy. We, we want to go to cities of intersection and influence. And as Paul is there, he just doesn't back off sharing the gospel. I mean, he goes into downtown Antioch. All right, he's not on the outskirts. They go into downtown. And I know in our culture, you know, we're just thought, hey, just keep quiet. 
about your faith. You know, it's just better just to kind of keep your mouth shut. Um, you don't need to talk about that in, in a place of business or a place of, of work or anything like that. Just leave that at home during sporting events or the neighborhood. You don't really need to bring that stuff up. Don't impose your faith on anybody, right? And I know I'm painting in broad generalizations here, but you get the idea. Paul, he would not buy that argument for a second. Not, not only would he not buy it, he would go and he would look for the fight, Because Paul passionately believed that the gospel was the only way to live. He he passionately believed that this was the most important truth you would ever hear in your life. He passionately believed that the gospel could stand up to any worldview that, that was ever being proclaimed. And so he just took the gospel right into downtown and I know you hear today, you know, sometimes, well, it's just worse now than it's ever been before. It's so bad these days. I mean, give me, give me a break, okay? Because Paul, he's dealing with Greek philosophy, and he's dealing with emperor worship. He's dealing with temple cult prostitution. He's dealing with more gods than you and I could ever count. I mean, that's what he's dealing with. This is the city that he goes to and where he begins sharing the gospel. Paul looked for places. Okay, this is another point. He looked for places where God was already working. He looked for places where God was already Working. He'd often start in the lo- always, I think, start in the local synagogue. He looked for people who were already asking the questions, for situations where he could share his testimony, where his testimony would be welcomed, places where God was already working. Now understand, where God is working may not be where you would want him to be working. Okay? Paul, he's somewhat surprised that his Jewish friends don't respond better to the gospel, but the Gentiles are flocking to the message. Okay, that somewhat surprises Paul. And you follow on, even this first missionary journey, you get into Acts chapter 14, and Paul and Barnabas, they end up in Lystra, and while they're in Lystra, there's a lame man there. And they heal, I I assume that Paul and Barnabas didn't really think that the lame man was going to be the key to to just gaining popularity in this city, but it's exactly what happens. They heal the lame man, he comes to faith, then they're ushered into the city, and in Lystra, the people begin to treat Paul and Barnabas like they're gods. And they start sacrificing to them, and Paul and Barnabas, they're tearing their clothes, they're saying, no, 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 you guys, we're just men like you, come on. I, I used to wonder about that story. Like, how could they really think that they were gods? And then I went to Sierra Leone. And in Sierra Leone, we were introduced one time, just our team, to a group of, uh, of people. And the introduction went like this. If you love these people, you'll go to heaven. And we're like Paul and Barnabas, like, no way. I mean, if we could have torn our clothes, we would have. I'm not that strong, but we're, we're just like, wait, no, that's not it at all. I mean, we literally interrupted the guy who was doing the introduction so that we could share the true gospel because loving us isn't going to get you anywhere. But this is what happens. The, the point is, is, is Paul's going to places where God's already working. I mean, later in another missionary journey, he finds uh, a woman named Lydia. I'm sure he didn't think that Lydia, this woman, was going to be the key to planning a church, but she was. 
See, God doesn't always work the way that we would think he should work with the people who we think he will work with. Sometimes he surprises us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But we look for where God is working with people who will welcome the good news of the gospel, who will hear us out. And you go there and you have a plan. This is what Paul does. And you almost, did you almost laugh out loud a little bit? I know I did. When he's in the synagogue and the leaders of the synagogue say, hey, Paul, Barnabas, do you guys have anything you'd like to add? I I just thought, I mean, hey, they're missionaries here, right? Of course they have something to add. And did you hear Paul? He just jumps right in. And he, just, he, and he just keeps on going and preaching. It's as if, hey, I'm going to talk until someone tells me to stop. He's, he's just ready. And he gives this beautiful presentation of the history of Israel and then how that weaves right into the gospel and what Jesus has done. See, you need to have your testimony and you need to have a gospel presentation in a one-minute, five-minute, and 20-minute speeches, and they need to be down cold. One minute, five minute, 20 minute speeches where someone could wake you up in the middle of the night and say, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. And you are ready to go. One minute, five minute, 20 minute. Because if someone comes up and says, hey, you know, good to meet you. Um, So tell me a little bit about who you are. And you say, "Uh, well, um, well, here's what I do. And here's my, you know, that's, that's okay. But if someone comes up to you and says, hey, nice to meet you, tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, I'm so glad you're asked. You know, I had this relationship with Jesus, and that is the defining aspect of my life. Let me tell you a little bit about it. And you just go. One minute, five minute, 20 minute, impressive presentations about your relationship with Jesus and the transformation that has happened as a result. See, the church on the move has a plan. A church on the move has a plan. Paul was ready. I imagine that the scripture that was read in the synagogue um, that afternoon was probably related to the Exodus or to Moses somehow. And that he just stepped right in wherever the scripture ended and he started with Moses and he just went. I think his starting place was strategic. I, you know, he didn't start back with Abraham or Noah or Adam and Eve, he started with Moses. I think he's just picking up wherever they left off, and then he went. And did you notice as Paul's talking how many times he quoted Scripture? Did you see that? I mean, he goes back to the Old Testament over and over and over again, just reciting Scripture. He was ready. Paul had spent, he tells us that he spent, after his conversion on the Damascus Road, that he spent pretty much the next three years after he was taken away for safety in Tarsus, in his hometown, just studying. So it had been about three years since Barnabas goes and collects Saul and brings him to Antioch. And he spent three years just getting ready. He already had all this rabbinical training, and now he's spent another three years just studying and getting prepared, making sure that he had a plan and he was ready. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Steve, yeah, but I don't have three years. No, but you probably have 20 minutes tonight. You probably have 20 minutes tonight where you can just turn off the TV for a little bit. You can unplug your phone, disconnect from the internet, 
and you can just read and study the word. And you probably have 20 minutes tomorrow and 20 minutes the day after that. And you may say, oh, but Steve, I just don't understand it. Well, you won't unless you read it. And the Lord, he says something to us. He says that he gives us the Holy Spirit, a helper to help us in our understanding. That's a promise. So as we read scripture, we begin to understand it better and then we know the scripture and then we're ready for those times when someone turns to you and says, hey, do you have anything to add? Is there anything you'd like to say? Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? And you are ready, one minute, five minute, 20 minutes, just to share your testimony, to share the gospel. Jesus said, you are my witnesses, okay? Not prosecuting attorneys, not judge and jury, witness that you testify about what you have seen, the difference that God has made in your life, what you know, nothing else. And you know how it is when you're a witness, you are called to testify. You are called to be a witness. It's not like you hear, oh, there's some case going on in the courtroom today. Well, I'm just going to show up and I'm going to tell the judge that I'd like to add something. It doesn't really work like that, right? No, the judge actually sends you a piece of paper and says, no, come, I want to hear from you. You have something to add to this case. And if you don't show up, well, then you get into all kinds of trouble for that. There will be times as you're having a conversation around a table, as you're just talking with the neighbor down the street, as you're in a place of business just making some kind of transaction and then the Holy Spirit will subpoena you and he will call you to be a witness for the difference that God has made in your life for what he has done in your life for the gospel are you ready because it would be a terrible thing wouldn't it if that conversation were taking place in the Holy Spirit Decides not to subpoena you, decides not to nudge you because he knows you're not ready. Because then the moment is lost, the word is left unspoken. Are you ready for that moment? Do you have a plan? Let me give you a plan, okay? First, you need to make a list of 10 unsaved friends, family members, coworkers, neighbors. Ten unsaved friends, family members, coworkers, neighbors. Ten unsaved people. You need to put that list maybe in your car, maybe on your refrigerator, maybe, maybe by your bed on a nightstand or something. But you need to put that list somewhere where you're going to see it. And you need to pray for those people every single day. Every single day. And if you're saying, Steve, I don't know that I know ten unsaved people. Then you got to get out more. Okay? Salt left in the box doesn't do any good. Okay? You're called to be the salt of the world. You, you got to get out of the shaker a little bit. Okay? Ten unsaved people. Make that list. Pray for them every day. Second, you need to get your testimony and a gospel presentation down in one minute, five minute, and 20 minute presentations where you're just ready, where you're ready for any conversation. 
you're ready to share the good news of the gospel, that when people interact with you and the Holy Spirit subpoenas you to be a witness, that you're ready. Now, as you go, and as you're subpoenaed, and as God calls you to testify, there's going to be times to retreat. Did, did you see that in the story as well? That Paul and Barnabas, they end up having to leave Pisidian Antioch because the Jews get so riled up and they shake the dust off their feet as they leave that town. Later, when you follow into Acts 14 and, they're in, and they continue to go and, and to share the gospel on this missionary journey, Paul is stoned and left for dead outside the city. They think he's dead. There's times to go. I mean, on, on this trip, right at the beginning, I don't know if you caught it, right at the beginning, they watched as John, that's John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark. He gets homesick, he gets afraid, and he just leaves. Paul and Barnabas stood the course. Many believe that during this first missionary journey that Paul contracted malaria, but he stayed the course. Sometimes you deal with difficulty, difficulty of seeing a friend leave when you wish they would have stayed, difficulty of people just persecuting you, saying things about you, not inviting you into conversations that you'd like to be involved with, not getting the promotion at work because of your faith. You see situations and you know, you know what, this door's not open here. They're not listening. So you don't have to beat the door down. Because there will be someone else who will listen. I mean, studies say that 80% of people will listen to you when you share the gospel. Only 20% of the time you're going to get a door in your face or it's just going to get shut off. But a church on the move stays the course. A church on the move stays the course even when you deal with difficulty, even with sadness. And did you see how Paul and Barnabas stood the course? I mean, as they leave and they shook the dust off their feet, they are filled with joy. There's excitement. And to us, it sounds totally backwards. Like, how could you be excited that you're forced to leave because they're persecuting you? But they're filled with joy because they know they're doing what God has called them to do. See, their responsibility is, obedient to the, is obedience to the call of God in their life. Their responsibility is not the results. They just leave the results to God. I'm going to be faithful in sharing the gospel. I'm going to be faithful in being ready when the Holy Spirit subpoenas me to have conversations with people. The results, I'm going to trust God with that. I'm going to pray for them, and I'm hoping, and I will do everything that I can but the results are ultimately left to God. And that's what Paul and Barnabas do. And so when they leave, there's joy. And at the end of this first missionary journey, when you get into Acts 14, the end of it, they return back. They kind of go back through some of the cities that they had planted these churches. And they encourage them. And then they get all the way back to Syrian Antioch, the church that had sent them off. And as they get back, the church there celebrates. And they're excited because they knew that there had been numerous lives who were eternally impacted with the gospel. There were churches that had been planted, leaders who had been developed. There was now hope for the hopeless. There was now light in these dark places. There was much 
rejoicing. You know, we're headed for some days when we're going to be sending missionaries off, when we're going to be sending pastors off right from these pews. And some of you will, will stand up and say, God has called me to plant churches. And we will grow, and we're headed for an impact that will expand in our community and around the world. And some of you sitting here right now, you're going to say, I could have told you Central was going places. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have a plan. God, a plan to take your gospel all over the world. And God, we thank you and are so privileged and humbled that your plan includes us. That you've included us to be your witnesses. You've included us to testify on your behalf to a world who so desperately needs to hear the good news of the gospel. So God, help us to be ready for when your spirit calls us to share. We ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your son, Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen.